At the end of Luke chapter 8, we have two accounts that are intertwined. In Luke 8, verses 40 through 46, we read about the raising of Jairus' daughter and an unnamed woman who was healed. In both of these accounts, we see vastly different circumstances for the people involved, but the same faith. This morning, we're going to look at just verses 40 through 48 and the healing of this unnamed woman. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll look at the raising of Jairus' daughter. Now, as we look at both of these accounts, we're going to focus on faith. The exercise of faith, the trial of faith, and the triumph of faith. Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the record of your works that's recorded here in the Gospel of Luke and the other Gospels. Thank you, Lord, for this written testimony that's been given to us of what occurred during your life, of the message that you preached, of the miracles you performed. Lord, we pray that as we look at this passage, that you would work in our hearts and our lives, accomplish exactly what you want to accomplish in each and everyone's life here this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, first, let's look at the exercise of faith in this passage, in verses 40 through 44. At the beginning of our text, we have a couple of verses that give us the context for the miracle that we will be looking at today. In verse 40, we're told that these events took place upon Jesus' return from the country of the Gadarenes, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. You remember that Jesus had crossed that lake earlier in Luke chapter 8, And as Jesus and the disciples were crossing, a terrible storm had come upon them. And Jesus had demonstrated his power over the natural world by commanding the wind and the water to be still. And they obeyed him. And you remember the disciples who had feared for their life because of the storms. They were then terrified and said amongst themselves, What manner of man is this? When they arrived at the other side of the lake, Jesus demonstrated his power over the spiritual world when he delivered that man possessed with a legion of demons. And like the disciples, the people of that region were terrified at this display of God's power. And you'll recall that in verse 37, they asked Jesus to leave, depart from us. Well, Jesus did, and he returns now to Galilee. And look at how the people of Galilee received Jesus in verse 40 came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. They were waiting for him. They gladly received him. Their attitude toward Jesus appeared very promising at this point. Certainly a group of people who were so eager to have Jesus among them would benefit greatly from his presence. Yet in the end, the people of Galilee were no better off than the people of Gadara. If you remember the parable of the soils that Jesus told at the beginning of chapter 8, in that parable, some seed fell on the hard path, and they were immediately carried away by the birds. That's like the people of Gadara. When the gospel came to them in the person and work of Jesus Christ, their hearts were hard, and the devil snatched away from their hearts whatever revelation they had received before it had any chance to take root. In that parable, some seed fell on the rocky ground, where it sprang up quickly, but withered just as quickly because it had no root. And this is like the people of Galilee. When Jesus preached among them, when Jesus worked miracles among them, they initially received Him with gladness. 
But as soon as Jesus began to teach difficult things, as soon as the way of Christ became a difficult way, they left. They fell away because there was no true root of faith in them. And in the end, both groups were unprofitable. Take warning from this verse. It's not enough to gladly receive Jesus when the message is pleasant, when the benefits and blessings that come with following Him are apparent. If that is the sole basis of a relationship with Jesus Christ, as soon as temptations come, as soon as the way grows hard, your faith will fade away, as did these crowds in Galilee. Well, at this point, they receive Him with gladness. And in verses 41 and 42, we're introduced to Jairus and his plight. Now, we will return to these verses and look at them more closely next week. But for this morning, just notice that his daughter is very sick at the point of death. And he asks Jesus to come to his house to help. And Jesus goes with him as requested. And the end of verse 42 tells us that as Jesus went, the people thronged him. They were packed around Jesus. He would have had to push his way to make uh, progress through this crowd. And that's the setting that we have for the miracle that's about to happen. Jesus is going with Jairus to his house. And as they go, there's a great crowd around them. And Jesus is pushing his way through this crowd. Now, in verse 43, we're introduced to the woman who sought out Jesus to be healed. And a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any. First, we're told that this woman had an issue of blood. It's important to understand what this meant for this woman in the time and place in which she lived. The Mosaic Law specifically addresses issues like this in Leviticus chapter 15. I'm going to read two verses that are pertinent to our text, Leviticus 15, verse 9, and then verse 25. And if a woman have an issue, and her issue in her flesh be blood, she shall be put apart seven days, and whosoever toucheth her shall be unclean until the even. And if a woman have an issue of her blood many days out of the time of her separation, or if it run beyond the time of her separation, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation." She shall be unclean. Because of this woman's condition, she was considered unclean under the Mosaic Law. Anyone who touched her was also considered unclean for the rest of the day. This mark of uncleanness would have separated this woman from the religious as well as many of the social aspects of her society. If you've ever been in a situation like that, you know it's a very difficult way to live. Whenever I'd go and visit Mrs. Carol Templeton, one thing she always told me was how much she missed being here on Sunday mornings. And for the past several years, she was not able to attend because of her health. She missed being here, being able to gather with her church body. Any of us who have been in a situation like that know how difficult it can be when you're cut off from fellowship, when you're cut off from interaction with other people like that. And that was the situation for this woman. And verse 43 goes on and tells us that this woman had been dealing with this issue for 12 years. This was not a short-term problem for her. She had not been dealing with this issue for a few weeks, or months, or a year. But for 12 long years. In Mark's account of these events, we learn that Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. And this woman had been sick for as long as Jairus' daughter had been alive. Think about the first 12 years of a child's life. Think of all the things that change, all the milestones. 12 years is a long, 
long time. Now think of this poor woman who had been dealing with her condition for 12 long years. Well, finally, verse 43 tells us that this woman had sought for a cure. She had employed the physicians of her day. She had spared no expense. We're not told what her financial situation had been, but whatever she had 12 years before was now gone. She had spent everything looking for a cure that she never found. She spent all her living on physicians. But it was no use. They were not able to help her. This issue had consumed 12 years of her life and all of her finances. Now look at what this woman did in verse 44. She came behind him, that is Jesus, and touched the border of his garment. And this is a departure from what we have seen so far in Luke's Gospel. Usually when somebody wanted to be healed, they would approach Jesus directly, or they would send a representative to go speak to Jesus directly. But this woman came up behind him, and she didn't say anything to Jesus. She simply reached out her hand. And notice what she did next. She reaches out her hand, but she doesn't touch Jesus directly. She touched, rather, just the hem of his garment. This is unusual behavior. Why did she do this? Well, remember, she is ceremonially unclean because of her condition. Anyone who touched her became unclean. Anything that she touched became unclean. And she had to push through this crowd to get to Jesus. Remember, they're thronging Jesus. And once she reached Jesus, she touched his garment, which also then became unclean. It must have been very difficult for her. She may have been afraid that someone in the crowd would recognize her, point her out as unclean. Maybe the crowd would turn upon her and drive her away before she could get to Jesus. Maybe Jesus would stop her because of her condition. Maybe he would refuse to touch her, lest he too would become ceremonially unclean. And yet this woman in her desperation and out of her conviction that Jesus could heal her, she was not deterred by the crowd or the potential of rejection. Mark's gospel tells us what she was thinking. In Mark 5.28 we read, For she said, If I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. What all she knew or understood or believed about Jesus at this point is not clear. But this she knew. She had faith in Jesus Christ. She believed that Jesus could heal her. More than that, she believed that Jesus would heal her. If I can but touch his garment, I will be made whole. She believed that if she could just touch his garment, that she would be healed. And that's what happened. The end of verse 44 tells us that when she touched the hem of Jesus' garment, immediately her issue of blood staunched. It stopped. She was healed. She had been made whole. This woman exercised her faith. She believed that Jesus could heal her, and she acted upon that faith. There were obstacles between her and Jesus. It would have been easy for her to find a reason, find an excuse not to approach Him. But her only hope was in Jesus. She had suffered with this incurable issue for 12 years Her money had all gone to the doctors. She had nowhere else to go. She did not allow her condition, the crowd, her uncleanness, or any other obstacle to keep her from Jesus. What a picture this is of salvation. 
We have an issue, an incurable, insurmountable issue. We are sinners. Sin consumes our lives, and it ends in death, the second death, eternal death. Sin makes us unclean and separates us from God. We were created to glorify Him, to worship Him, to adore Him, but we cannot because of sin. And there is no cure. No medical doctor can help us. Untold fortunes have been spent to no avail. But there is hope. We cannot reach up to God, but God came down to us. Jesus Christ dealt with the issue of sin at the cross. In Jesus Christ, there is hope, redemption, restoration. You can be clean. You can be restored to fellowship with God. Come to Christ, and you too will be made whole. You ask, how do I know if I can come to Jesus? The answer is, just just come. Jesus has never turned a repentant sinner away, and He never will. Jesus said in John 6, 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. The unnamed woman in our text, she acted on her faith. And next we see her faith put to the test. So we seem to exercise the faith, and now the trial of faith in verses 45 through 47. Verse 45 tells us that immediately after the woman touched him, Jesus stopped and he asked, Who touched me? Who touched me? Now, why did Jesus ask this question? He knew what had just happened. This woman knew what had just happened. But no one else was aware of the miracle that had taken place. I believe that Jesus asked this question so that the woman would make a free and public confession of her faith and testify about what had just occurred. And that's what we see happen in this text. Verse 45 goes on to tell us that all denied touching him. So Jesus asked, who touched me? And here is this throng, this huge group of people pressing in upon Jesus. Who touched me? And all denied. No one confessed. No one said, oh Jesus, it was I who touched you. Now keep in mind, this woman is still there. She heard the question from Jesus, but at this point she remained silent. Verse 47 tells us she was trembling. Was she afraid? Was she embarrassed? Why didn't she answer? When no one confessed, Peter spoke up. And sometimes Peter said good and wonderful things, and other times Peter would have been better served if he had stayed quiet. But we can understand what Peter says here, because he says to Jesus, Master, the multitude throng and press thee, and sayest thou who touched me? Jesus, what kind of question is this? What do you mean who touched you? Look at this crowd. Many, many, many people have touched you, Jesus. You, You would be better off asking, who hasn't touched me? Well, Jesus answered Peter very graciously in verse 46. Somebody hath touched me. And notice what he says. For I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. Jesus was aware of every time power went out of him to heal or perform other miracles. The miracles of Jesus were not performed in a haphazard, slipshod way. Every miracle Jesus worked served a purpose. They demonstrated the power of God upon him, which authenticated the message which he preached. On this occasion, God saw fit to work a miracle when this woman touched the hem of Christ's garment. This didn't just happen. God knew this would happen. He planned for it, and Jesus was aware. I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. Well, in verse 47, this woman then came forward and confessed. This woman saw that she was not hid. 
Again, Jesus knew what had happened. I believe that Jesus could have picked this woman out of the crowd. He could have called upon her directly to explain what had happened. But again, he had graciously allowed her to confess on her own. Now learn from this example how gently God deals with his children. He does not drive us before him, but like a shepherd, he gently leads us in the paths he has set for us. Now look at this woman's condition when she came forward. Again, she was trembling. Trembling. Why? Well, maybe she was afraid of the crowd because she's still ceremonially, ritually unclean. Her bleeding had stopped, but there was still a period of time that needed to pass, according to the Mosaic Law, for ritual purification. Maybe she was afraid of how the crowd would respond to her presence. Or maybe she was afraid of Jesus. What would He say to her? How would He respond to what had just happened? She had touched him while she was unclean. Would he treat that as inexcusable presumption? She had not answered when he first asked, Who touched me? Would he be angry because of her fear or timidity? She had not asked him to heal her. Would he take away her healing? She was trembling, and yet she went forward. It's a very simple action, yet it is a demonstration of genuine faith. Remember again the parable of the soils. Jesus warned of a false faith that falls away as soon as temptation comes. As soon as faith costs the person something. As soon as there is a trial. As soon as they are afraid. They fall away. Well, this timid woman, fearful and trembling, she could have shrunk further back into the crowd. She could have turned and run away instead of face the crowd and face Jesus. But she did not shrink back. Though trembling, yet she went forward. True faith does not always look bold and triumphant, but it does continue to press forward. Sometimes trembling, sometimes faltering, sometimes it even looks reluctant, yet continues to press forward. Come what may, true faith will not be dissuaded from following Jesus Christ and pressing after Him. But when she reached Jesus... Verse 47 tells us that she fell down before him. She had demonstrated humility when she had secretly approached Jesus, only touching the hem of his garment. And so again, she demonstrates humility when she approached Jesus now openly. She did not come with pride and presumption. She did not come assured of her faith, even though she had just been healed. She did not come confident that Jesus would be only too glad to receive her. But she came with great humility and fell down before him. Now, that act may have been very difficult for her, but harder still must have been the confession that she went on to make. Before this great throng of people, she told Jesus why she had touched him. All her needs and weaknesses were laid bare. She put herself in a very vulnerable position, exposed to the crowd at the mercy of Jesus. Again, this must have been very difficult for her to do But her example is one for us all to follow. There is no better place for us to be than at the mercy of Jesus in faith and humility. There is no greater friend of sinners than Jesus Christ. Come to Him in the day of grace and you will know His mercy. But if you refuse, you will be brought before Him in the day of judgment. And then you will only know His wrath. Well, after telling Jesus about her need... 
she also told him how her need was met. When she had touched him, she was immediately healed. Just as Jesus was aware that virtue had gone out of him, so this woman was aware that a miracle had taken place inside of her. She immediately knew that she was healed. Now, when we read this passage, we have an advantage because we know how this account ends. There's no tension for us here. We read verse 47, and then immediately we read verse 48, and we move on. It's no big deal. Just another account from the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. But take a moment and pause here at verse 47 and put yourself in the position of this woman. You're surrounded by a crowd of people. You are trembling. You have just told Jesus what you have done and why. Jesus asked, who touched me? You knew you needed to confess. You knew you were not hidden from him. And so before this crowd and to Jesus, you have made this public confession of your faith. What will Jesus say? How will he respond? What will he do with you? You don't know. Put yourself in the position of this woman. In verse 47. Well, so far this morning from our text, we've looked at the exercise of faith, the trial of faith. And finally, in verse 48, we see the triumph of faith. Look at verse 48. And he, Jesus, said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. Jesus called her daughter. What assurance and peace must have come with this word. Daughter. He did not look at her and say, unclean. He did not drive her away. But he looked at this woman, trembling before him, and he called her daughter. So it is every time that Jesus receives a sinner. We deserve wrath. We deserve damnation. We cannot hope to even be the lowest of servants in God's house. Yet Jesus not only receives repentant sinners, but he adopts us into the family of God. He calls us sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, joint heirs with Christ. The salvation that God has brought is incredible. And for all of eternity, we will worship and glorify God for His power, His mercy, and His love that's been demonstrated in salvation. He calls us now sons and daughters. Well, Jesus continued, and He said to this woman, Daughter, be of good comfort. If there remain any doubt in the mind of this woman, if any fear still lingered, how good, how sweet, how comforting these words must have been. Be of good comfort. We can comfort ourselves in this world. We can seek out those things which please us. We can make our lives as smooth and as easy as possible. We may even delight in doing good works for others and be comforted in those good works. But in the end, none of these things hold any true comfort. When we're brought to our last desperate extremity, like the woman in this text, when some disease or infirmity has consumed our lives, when we're cut off from the people we love, when our fortunes are exhausted, then we find that all the supposed comforts of this world are at best temporary. They're passing away. Turn from this world and turn to Christ. In Him is true comfort. In Him is lasting peace and assurance. In Him is hope and joy that will not fade away. Come to Him as this woman came in true faith and humility, trembling but believing. And hear from Christ these blessed words. 
Son, daughter, be of good comfort. And then Jesus said to this woman, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Through faith in Jesus Christ, she had been healed. Her act of faith did not earn her healing, nor did her act of faith bring about her healing. Her healing was accomplished by Jesus Christ, who was the object of her faith. Faith by itself has no intrinsic value. Virtue did not go out from her faith and heal her. Virtue went out from Christ and healed her. This woman's faith was merely the avenue or the conduit through which Christ's virtue passed. And because of her faith in Jesus Christ, she was made whole. And this is another evidence of genuine faith. Again, I remind you of the parable of the soils. What was the evidence of the good soil? It brought forth fruit. Genuine faith bears fruit. And we see that in the life of this woman. Well, finally, Jesus said to this woman, Go in peace. Go in peace. Look at the change that's happened in these few verses. She had come to Jesus secretly, trembling, fearful, unclean, with a great need, in desperation, but in faith. And how did she leave? Openly, comforted, clean, healed, and at peace. This is the triumph of her faith. From our text this morning, we've seen faith exercised, faith tried, and faith triumphant. The woman in our text exercised faith in Jesus Christ. She believed that Jesus could make her whole, and she acted upon that faith. Her faith was tried. She came to Jesus secretly, but she confessed Him openly. She publicly confessed her faith in Jesus Christ. She testified of what Jesus had done for her. And in the end, we see the triumph of her faith. Jesus said to her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn and then prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. And as we move to that part of our worship service, reflect on these things. The exercise of faith. The trial of faith. The triumph of faith. Can you look back at a time in your life when you exercised faith in Jesus Christ for salvation? He is our only hope in life and death. He is the only worthy object of our faith. And He now commands all men everywhere to repent and believe the gospel. Have you exercised faith in Him? As a Christian, can you look back at a time in your life when your faith was tried? Maybe tried by some form of persecution. Maybe by ridicule, pressure from family or friends. Maybe your faith was tried by difficult circumstances in your life. Sickness, disease, broken relationship. Genuine faith stands under trial. When you can look back and you can see faith that stood in the midst of trial, praise God for that. Thank the Lord for faith that stood in trial. And finally, as a Christian, rejoice in faith triumphant. Like the woman in this text, we came to Christ trembling, fearful, unclean, and with a great need. But now we stand in Jesus Christ with the promise of God's Word as our warrant, comforted, clean, healed, redeemed, and at peace. Let's close in prayer.
Lord, we thank you for this beautiful account. This unnamed woman appearing only for the short period in the gospel. We see her and then she's gone. But we see the work that you did in her life. We see her faith. Lord, we pray that you would help us to take what we have observed here and then apply it correctly in our own lives. We may honor and glorify you. Lord, prepare our hearts as we continue with this worship service. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.